Chapter two of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred part two by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter two. Paris, September eighteen twenty one. Constitution of the Estates of Brittany. Sittings of the Estates. The estates of Brittany have undergone more or less changes, like all the estates of feudal Europe, which they resembled. The kings of France entered into all the rights of the dukes of Brittany. The marriage contract of Anne, Duchess of the Province, in 1491, not only brought Brittany as a dower to the crown of Charles VIII and Louis XII, but it contained stipulations by virtue of which a difference was terminated which reached as far back as Charles of Blois and the Comte de Montfort. Brittany claimed the right of succession for daughters, whilst France maintained that it was limited to the male line, and that on failure of heirs male, the duchy reverted as a fief to the crown. Charles VIII and Anne, and then Anne and Louis XII, made mutual concessions of their rights and pretensions. Claude, the daughter of Anne and Louis XII, who became the wife of Francis I, on her death bequeathed the duchy of Brittany to her husband. On the petition of the estates assembled at Vins, Francis I, by an edict published at Nantes in 1532, united the Duchy of Brittany to the Crown of France, giving guarantees to the former for the preservation of its liberties and privileges. At this period the Estates of Brittany assembled every year, but in 1630 their meeting became biennial. The opening of the Estates was announced by the Governor. The three orders met, according to the place, in a church or in the halls of a convent. Each order deliberated apart. They constituted three distinct assemblies with their different tempests, which were converted into a general hurricane when the clergy, the nobles, and the tiers met together. The court blew the discord, and in this narrow field, as in a larger arena, vanity, ambition, and talent were all called into action. Father Grégoire de Rostrenon, a Capuchin, in the dedication of his Dictionnaire Français-Breton, speaks in the following fashion to one of the estates of Brittany. If it demanded all the powers of the Roman orator to speak in just commendation of the august senate of Rome, was I justified in attempting to pronounce a eulogy upon your august assembly which presents to us a worthy idea of all that was honourable and majestic in ancient or modern rome rostrana alleges that the celtic was one of the primitive languages which was brought to europe by gomer the eldest son of japhet and that the barbretons notwithstanding their stature were the descendants of the giants of those days unfortunately the breton sons of gomer long separated from france have suffered a part of their ancient titles to perish their charters, to which they did not attach sufficiently great importance as the bond which connects them with general history, are often deficient in that authenticity whose value the deciphers of documents on their part exaggerate. The session of the Estates of Brittany was a time of amusement and balls. Dinners were given by the commandant, by the president of the nobility, the president of the clergy, the treasurer of the estates, and the president of the parliament. Dinners everywhere, with no lack of drinking. There might be seen, seated at the long tables of the refectory, the labourers of du Gesclin and the sailors of duguet chouin wearing at their side the iron sword of the old guard or their boarding cutlasses the gentlemen who were present at the estates in person formed no bad resemblance of a polish diet of poland on foot not on horseback a scythian but not a sarmatian diet unfortunately too much time was given up to amusements there was no cessation of balls the bretons are remarkable for their dances and the tunes to which they dance Madame de Sévigné has compared our political banquetings in the midst of our lands to the festivities of witches and fairies, which take place by night on the heaths. 
You will now have, she writes, news of our estates as a punishment for being a Breton. Monsieur de Chaune arrived on Sunday evening, and on Monday morning he wrote me a letter, to which I sent him in answer that I would go and dine with him. There were two tables in the same room with covers for fourteen at each. Monsieur presided at one and his lady at the other. Good cheer was excessive, and whole dishes of meats were carried away untouched. And as for the pyramids of fruit, it was necessary to raise the height of the doors. Our fathers did not anticipate such kinds of machines, because they had no idea that it was necessary a door should be higher than themselves. After dinner, Messieurs de la Maria and Cret Logan danced minuets and extraordinary jigs with two Breton ladies, with an air which courtiers might have envied. They performed Bohemian and Breton dances with an elegance and precision quite captivating. Night and day there was a constant round of amusement, feasting and freedom, which attracted everybody. I had never seen the estates. It is really a very pretty thing. I do not believe that there is any provincial assembly which exhibits so great an air as this. It must be very full at least, for there is not a single person either with the army or at the court. There is no one except the little ensign, Monsieur de Sévigné, her son, who perhaps will return some day like the rest. An infinity of gifts, pensions, repairs of the highways and towns, fifteen or twenty great tables, constant gambling and never-ending balls, plays three times a week and vast finery. Such are the estates, not forgetting the three or four hundred pipes of wine which are drunk. The Bretons can scarcely pardon Madame de Sévigné for her raillery. I am less severe, but I do not like to hear her say, You speak to me very pleasantly of our miseries. We are no longer so roué. One in eight days is entirely given up to the affairs of justice. It is true that hanging appears to me now a refreshment. This is pushing the easy language of courts too far. Barère spoke in the same style of the guillotine. In 1793 the noyades of Nantes were called republican marriages. Popular despotism reproduced the amenity of style used by royal despotism. The coxcombs of Paris, who accompanied the royal commissioners, stated that our country squires caused us to double up our tin pockets in order to carry home the commandant's fricasseed chickens to our wives. These sometimes proved very costly. A certain Count Sabran was not long since left dead in the square, in exchange for one of those unreasonable pleasantries. This descendant of the troubadours and Provencal kings, as tall as a Swiss, was killed by a little sportsman of Morbihan, not bigger than a Laplander. This cur did not yield to his adversary in genealogy. If St. Elzea de Sabran was a near relation of Saint-Louis, Saint-Corentin, grand-uncle of the very noble cur, was bishop of Campere, in the reign of Gallo the second, three centuries before Christ. King's revenue in Brittany, particular income of the province. Hearth money, present for the first time at a political meeting scene. The King's revenue from Brittany consisted of benevolences, variable in amount according to circumstances, of the produce of the royal domains, which might be estimated at from 300,000 to 400,000 francs, and of the duties on stamps, etc., the province enjoyed its own special revenue to meet the charges of its administration. The great and small dues which affected liquids and their transport furnished two million annually, and lastly sums derived from the hearth-tax. There is no doubt concerning the importance of the hearth-tax in our history. It played the same part in the French Revolution which the stamp duty did in that of the United States. The hearth-money, the census pro singulis focus exactus, was a tax of so much for every fire laid upon the rich commoners and by the gradual augmentation of this tax the debts of the province were discharged in the time of war the expenses rose to more than seven millions from one session to another a sum which exceeded the receipts a scheme was proposed for creating a capital from the proceeds of the hearth money and consolidating it in stock for the benefit of those liable to the tax 
the tax then would have been merely a loan the injustice consisted in imposing it upon the property of commoners alone the communes never ceased to protest the nobles who laid less stress upon their money than their privileges would not listen to the proposal of any impost which should render them liable to taxation such was the state of the question when the bloody estates of brittany met in the month of december seventeen eighty eight men's minds were at that time agitated by various things the assembly of the notables territorial taxation trade in corn the approaching sitting of the states-general and the affair of the necklace the corps plenière and the mariage de figaro the great bailiwicks and cagliostro and mesmer with a thousand other important and silly questions were the objects of controversy in every family the breton nobility by its own authority had been summoned to meet at rennes in order to protest against the establishment of the corps plenière i attended that diet and it was the first political assembly at which i was ever present i was astounded and amused by the clamour some mounted on tables and armchairs others gesticulated and there was a general effort to speak all at the same time the marquis de tremagat with his wooden leg shouted in a stentorian voice come let us go to the residence of monsieur de Thiard, the commandant we will announce to him that the nobles of brittany are at his door they demand an audience the king himself would not refuse this piece of eloquence was received with bravos which made the ceiling re-echo he went on the king himself would not refuse it the huzzas and applause were redoubled we accordingly proceeded to the house of monsieur de Thiard, who was a courtier a writer of amatory verses a man of gentle but frivolous mind and mortally annoyed at our uproar he looked at us as if we were owls wild boars or savage beasts he longed to get away from our armorica and had no desire to refuse us admission into his hotel the speaker informed him of our wishes after which we reduced the following declaration to writing we declare all those infamous who accept any places in the new administration of justice or in the administration of the estates not sanctioned by the established usages and laws of brittany twelve members were chosen to lay this document before the king on their arrival in paris they were clapped into the bastille from which they were soon delivered as heroes on their return they were received with rejoicings and crowned with laurels we wore large mother-of-pearl buttons on our ermined coats with the inscription death before dishonour we triumphed over the court over whom everybody triumphed and we fell with it into the same abyss End of chapter two